Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Oh, what a good morning. Thank you, worship team, for a great time of worship. Uh, Just to focus our hearts and attention on Jesus, the only one who can rescue us, the only one who can forgive us, free us, purify us. Uh, Man, it just sets the table so well. Uh, Greetings this morning on behalf of Pastor Scott, our lead pastor who is on sabbatical, and and, uh, I just want you to know he's praying for you. Uh, Greetings also from all of our elders and leadership as they continue to pray for us as a church family, for you, many specifically by name, um, just on a a regular basis, and and as they pray and just seek God's direction as as we move forward as a church and what that looks like in in this 21st century changing culture. And uh, so anyway, greetings from them this morning. Uh, Let's just go to the Lord in prayer and begin our time. Father, as we turn to the truth of your word this morning, would you meet us in this place? Lord, meet us in this place uh, in a unique way for each of us, so unique, so specific. Lord, for every person in the room, every person watching online, would you meet us this morning at the very point of our need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue this morning in our Timeless Truth series. If you have a Bible, I trust you do. You can begin to find the book of 1 Peter uh, toward the end of the New Testament. And as you turn there, I just, I want to take us on a a brief biographical history lesson. Um, This morning, we're talking about new perspective. Uh, Perspective is everything, isn't it? Have you ever just gone to a place that's absolutely gorgeous? Grand Canyon, you know, um, downtown Raleigh. I mean, you know, any of these just spectacular places and you just go, wow, this is just beautiful. And, And you snap a picture and later you look at it and you go, that doesn't do it justice. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I have a, a picture on my, my, computer screen of a, of a mountain off the backside at the end of a road in Alaska that my son and I hiked a number of years ago. Absolutely gorgeous, absolutely stunning. But every time I look at that picture, I'm like, it, it doesn't do it justice um, because perspective is, is critical. Uh, if you've ever been to a ball game and you sit up in the nosebleed section, it's a whole different perspective of the game as being front row right off the field because the perspective of the game changes. The size of the players change. The speed of the ball and the speed of the players changes dramatically the closer you get. So this morning I want to talk about perspective a little bit as it relates to God's goodness, His mercy, and His salvation. Peter is writing this letter uh, to a number of churches actually within this region. And as I was reading this text, I just thought about Peter. Uh, we, we all know stories of Peter, right? Peter's probably one of, the, one of the most famous, at least we see a lot of stories written about him through the Gospels. Uh, let me just run some things that, that we know about Peter. Peter and his brother Andrew were, were the first disciples to be called publicly by Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So with the invitation to follow came a description that your life is going to change. I'm going to make you into something different. 
Uh, if you have chosen to follow Jesus, do you see him making you into something? Do you, do you see your life being changed and transformed? And so, now Peter, what, one of the things we, we know about him through, through his life, he could be a little impulsive, perhaps. So even like in Matthew 4, it says, and immediately they dropped their nets and followed Jesus. I, I've often wondered, was that just deep conviction? This is the Son of God, and I'm going to drop everything in my life and follow him? Or was it impulsive? What about you? When you came to follow Jesus, was it deep conviction because God was doing something in your life, or was it impulsive? Was it emotional? But we go on in, in Peter's life because in Matthew chapter 14, it's Peter who says, Lord, if that's really you out on the water walking, command me to come to you. And what did Jesus do? He said, come on, big fella. And so Peter, it was Peter who jumped out of the boat and began to walk on water. Uh, John chapter 13, uh, as Jesus is enjoying this time with the disciples before his arrest, and he begins to wash their feet, it's Peter who says, no, 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 you will never wash my feet, right? Because he, he's sort of elevating Jesus in this place, and, and he says, no, you'll, you're never going to wash my feet. And so Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you will have nothing to do with me. So then he goes, oh, well, give me a shower. D don't just do my feet, do all of me. Right? And so then 1337, later in that chapter, he says, he's telling Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. Matthew 16, he says, he, he acknowledges that Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. John chapter 18, verse 10, as Jesus is, is about to be arrested, it's Peter, the text tells us, that draws a sword. How many of you realize the disciples carried swords? And, and he whacked off a guy's ear, a guy named Malchus. Now, I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't that he was that good of a swordsman, because I'm sure he wasn't aiming for the ear. Anybody with me? <laughs> but that was Peter. He goes on then in, in later in chapter 18 of, of the Gospel of John, three times we see Peter denying Jesus, denying that he even knew him. One, and I don't mean this demeaning, but one to a, a little girl. So, so fearful, so cautious that even to a little girl, he, he said, no, no, I don't even know him. Now, through Peter's life, I, I want to just draw a line right there. Because I think everything above that line, I can really resonate with Peter. I have my highs, I have my lows, I have my, my quick reactions but then Peter's life, something else happens. Because at that point of denial, it was probably his lowest, most broken point of his entire life. It was a clarifying, broken moment in the life of Peter when he realized how broken he was before a holy God. And I think that was probably the first time in Peter's life he really came to that point of brokenness. After all that he had experienced with Jesus to, to deny him three times and to turn his back and walk away when he said, I will never leave you. I will die for you. Everything above that line, I think, is me. But I want my life to be Peter's life below the line. Because from that moment, we move into John chapter 20 when Jesus restores Peter. 
He's walking with Peter, and he restores him to right relationship, saying, Peter, do you love me? And he has that moment of restoration. And then, then we move into the book of Acts as the New Testament church is born. And, and in Acts chapter 1, we see Peter rallying the 120 believers of Jesus, the followers that are gathered together. And it's Peter who begins to take leadership role. And it's Peter who begins to stand up and he, he says, hey, we need to replace Judas. And, and so Peter's taking that role. And then Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and falls on the people. And then we see in Acts chapter 2, it is Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who stands proclaiming to the people in Jerusalem the gospel of Jesus Christ, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus that day. Peter's a different person. His life has been transformed. It's been changed, not just through his actions and activities, but through that deep dark, broken, clarifying moment, and then Jesus' restoration and being filled with the Holy Spirit, we begin to see a new Peter. And although I can resonate with a lot of Peter's life above the line, I want my life in Jesus Christ to be most reflected of Peter below the line. Surrender to the Holy Spirit of God, making deep impact for the cause of Jesus, realizing that I have but one single life to give for the glory and honor and purpose of Jesus Christ. And I want to die from this life and go to heaven and take as many people with me as I can. What about you? One life. Peter said, I have one life to give. So then later he comes back and he begins to write and he writes to five churches very specifically within this region. And in 1 Peter, uh, I want to take us to the text because now here's Peter speaking from his own experience. Peter, um, he begins to declare the goodness and the salvation of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jumping down to verse 7, he writes, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, your faith is going to be tested, and you're going to realize how good God is, but your faith is going to be tested, and it's going to be proven to be genuine so that it will result in praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ. There's your mission statement. There's your personal life mission statement to bring honor and praise and glory to Jesus Christ through your life through the good times and the bad times. This is, this is Peter, this is what he's saying. He's saying, look, when our faith has been tested and found genuine, we're realizing our identity and we've, we've got the proper perspective of God's love and his salvation. It, it began to click with Peter. It's about walking with Jesus through all of the circumstances of life so that our faith may result in praise and honor and glory as we reveal Jesus. So let's look at our text in 1 Peter chapter 2, three simple verses. He begins this section simply saying, so 
In other words, because of the salvation, because of all the things I've declared that you're called to be holy and uh, that God's gift of salvation has been entrusted to you and that God has caused you to be saved. These are the things he shared in chapter one. He says, so because of those things, he says, so put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Let me just stop right there. Paul is, is sharing a contrast in life. He begins with this, this negative list. He says, stop doing these things. Put away these things because you have been saved. Because God has entrusted to you salvation, because he's revealed salvation to you, because he's called you to be holy, he says, sometimes we just have to stop and acknowledge our life. And he says, these are the things that you need to stop doing. You need to put them away. But, but Paul is not simply saying we do this in and of ourself. Right? When we look at anything from God's Word as something that I have to do on my own, it becomes religion. So what Paul is saying, he says, look, because you've been given this new life in Christ, begin to experience the life change that God wants to have in you. Now, through many years of, of ministry, through relationships, through personal conversations over the, the number of years that I've, I've served the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, it's become a little bit easier for me to understand why so many people leave the church, why so many people are angry at God and the church, why many rarely, uh, perhaps never again, begin to darken the doors of the church, or why sometimes the church finds it so difficult to reach some people because the church as an organization has reared its ugly head against the organism of God's body. See, God reached out to me in my brokenness and my sin with grace and mercy and truth. <laughs> but sometimes we just go at people with truth without the grace and the mercy. Because somehow we think, hey, you got to stop doing these things. Uh, you know, we look at this and we go, okay, now this is a direct command, but who is this command written to? He is writing to believers. Believers, stop it. Believers, stop doing these things. If you're a follower of Jesus, stop it. If you're a follower of Jesus, put these things off, put it away. If, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I can't apply God's grace to you where God's grace has not been received. And I've had numerous conversations with people through the years, and my first question is always this, have you come to the place that you know for certain that you've trusted Jesus Christ, that you've come to know him personally as your Savior? Because the answer to that question changes all the rest of my conversation. If someone says, no, I have no interest in Jesus, well, guess what? I can't apply God's grace where God's grace has not been received. When someone looks at me and says, oh yeah, I've trusted Jesus, well, guess what? He's called you to a higher standard. Your life should be different. It should look different. And so Paul is writing to believers, but, but there are, I think, are many people who either wrongly believe or they have been told or perhaps even taught that it's all about the rules. And churches have become all about religion because we're trying to modify people's sinful behavior to be better sinners instead of saved sinners changed by the power of God. I'm a Barney Fife fan. <laughs> now listen, true, even before I moved to North Carolina, 
I love Barney. I love Andy. Especially the first three seasons. When Opie started getting older and other characters came in, you know. So anyway, all right, so that's enough. First three seasons. In season three, there's one episode that I really love. And Barney is all about the rules, right? I mean, he quotes ordinances and rules and laws. And I will never forget because they brought in some guys that had been captured and, and they were going to house them in the Mayberry jail. And so they, they put these guys in there and Barney says, Andy, Andy. And he's all, Barney, please don't. Because he knows what's coming, right? So here's Barney. Men, here at the big house, here at the rock, we have two basic rules. Rule number one, obey all rules. Isn't that great? Two rules. Rule one, obey all rules. I think sometimes that's kind of what church has become. And sometimes that's the way people perceive church. That's the way they perceive what we teach. That's not what we teach. We teach fall deeply in love with Jesus, grow in his word, and let God change you from the inside out. But let's do that in the context of loving relationship with one another because the Bible speaks heavily of accountability and encouragement every day so that we will grow. So as we move through this text, I want you to understand this. When Christianity becomes nothing more than a bunch of rules to be followed in hope of God accepting you, then you've lost touch with God's purpose for loving you. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. That was kind of Leslie in my mantra, if you would, raising children. We wanted them to know rules, but we wanted them to understand the rules in the context of loving relationships. This is why I'm giving you a rule, a boundary. But I've also realized that's true in my relationship with Jesus. That, that if I simply look at it as a bunch of rules outside the context of God's loving relationship, it's going to lead me to rebellion. And I've known countless people through the years who've walked away from the church in rebellion because they've, they've tried to dwell on the rules and they've completely missed the loving relationship that God intended for them. Rules are important. They are incredibly important because they're a reflection of God's nature and His character. So apparently the believers that Paul is writing continue to have the same issues that you and I have as children of God. And so he begins verse one, so put away all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Those are tricky words, right? Malice, it simply means evil or wickedness, deceit, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is simply play acting. I think a lot of people in our world are turned off by Christians because they're play acting. What they see on one side is not what they see on the other side. Envy, which is simply jealousy. Slander, which is evil speaking. But over the last couple of weeks as I read this text over and over and over, I kept coming back to that word deceit. And I'm not going to dwell here long except simply to say, when I was doing a little deeper study on that, the, the root of the Greek word that Peter uses here uh, is, is a bait. It's like bait. Uh, to deceive, to bait, to lead, to do something. And, and I'm thinking... What a great technique of Satan in our life. 
to begin to deceive us. It makes sense then the writer of Hebrews says, but encourage one another daily so that none of you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Why? Because the enemy is trying to deceive us and lead us away from the truth of God. But, but sometimes as believers in, in our own minds, we, we so embrace things of our culture that we begin to bait others and begin to lead them away because it's like, hey, I want you to believe like I believe about other things apart from Scripture. And, and I'm telling you what, social media has not helped us one bit to make a difference for the cause of Jesus Christ. I will see people all over social media baiting people over political issues and vaccine issues and COVID issues and all sorts of issues, but never talk about the love and grace of Jesus. Oh, what an incredible opportunity we have, and yet we, we bait and we deceive and we become more consumed with the things of this world than the things of Jesus Christ. So Peter's simply saying, hey, quit living like you used to, verse 7 of chapter 1, quit living like you used to so that our faith may result in praise, honor, and glory as we reveal Jesus. So, so I believe from Peter's own experience, he uses a contrast then to describe um, the old life to our new life. Uh, that Peter had this clarifying moment of his weakness before God and it changed him, and we need that. And when we do, we get a proper perspective of God's salvation because it begins to change our first. I want you to see it changes our attitude. It changes our attitude. In verse 2, it says, like newborn infants, I'll just stop right there. He says, if you're going to put off all these things, put off malice, uh, put off deceit, put off hypocrisy, envy, and slander, and like newborn infants, just stop right there. Like newborn infants. It, it begins to change your attitude. Your attitude should be that of absolute, complete dependence on Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever held a brand newborn baby? And as you held that baby, how many of you said, what in the world am I supposed to do? November 11th, 1990 at 4.50 in the afternoon, my precious little daughter was born. Every time Leslie would push, the heart rate would drop down. We realized the umbilical cord was strung around her neck three times. So yes, she started wearing jewelry in the womb. It was like her first necklace. And so anyway, when she was born and you know, that, that cry, and it was like, oh man. And when we took her home, it's like, wow, seven pounds, 14 ounces of what do I do? And that precious little life was dependent on me. This verse took on a brand new perspective when I hold a little baby or when I think about a, an infant child. I've toured uh, orphanages in Russia where children are born and simply laid in a crib with no physical interaction, no tender cut, touch, no tender care, and, and the development doesn't happen in the life of an infant newborn when they're not held, when they're not cared for, when they're not fed and it breaks your heart. 
And Peter is saying, look, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're putting off these things, your attitude needs to be different. Your attitude needs to be that of a newborn infant. The word that Peter uses is the same word, the same phrasing that is used for the, the infant baby Jesus in Luke chapter 2. This precious newborn baby that was born and wrapped in, in cloths and lied in a manger. Peter says, your attitude should be like a newborn baby that is completely, totally dependent on Jesus Christ. Total dependence, like a newborn. Not rebellion, like a preteen or a teen. <laughs> Quite often I find myself in that world. But no matter how much you grow in Christ, we need to maintain the attitude of a newborn baby, complete dependence. I find my nurture in Christ. I find my security in Christ. I find my place most comfortable in the arms of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying your attitude has to change. But second, he says, when we get a proper perspective of God's salvation, it changes. Secondly, it changes our appetite. It changes our appetite. Verse 2, he says, like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk that by you may grow up. Long. Your translation may say desire. Your translation, if you're looking at the NIV, says crave. I love that. To crave something. What do you crave? Who said that? Rob. He says he craves chocolate. Anybody else? Ice cream. Cake. Mm, tacos. Pizza, yeah. When, when you taste something like not Brussels sprouts, when you taste something good and you go, wow, this is life-changing, this is so good, you begin to crave that, don't you? Now, thanks, Rob, for bringing this up, because I am one who loves chocolate. So here's this little Hershey. And man, now I can't tell you the first time I ate chocolate, but I can tell you the last time I did, <laughs> right? It was not this morning. It was not this morning. Um, now I, I grab a chocolate and I eat that and it's like, wow, that's good. I want more. I'll never forget as a kid, um, the, the first night, I was a young boy, grade school age, that my father was introduced to Mike's Pizza a small little dive hole in the wall up in Waukegan, Illinois, where I grew up. Dad called Mike's Pizza immediately, and we went and picked up a pizza. Because it was like, this is so good, I crave this. And I'm not kidding, every week for the rest of his life, he had it at least once. And I, to this day, I love it. I was driving up to Illinois a few years ago with my boys. We were just doing a road trip, and it was all about the food. I said, guys, we're going to see family, and I'll, but it's all about the food. And I'm not kidding. We stopped at three pizza places on the way in town because we had this bucket list of places, and one of those was Mike's Pizza. I said, we've got to call Mike's and get a pizza. Uh, when you taste something that you love, you begin to crave it. And when you begin to crave it and taste it, you want a little bit more, right? Is anybody else besides... Rob, here, Rob, I'm going to try my best. I might hit my wife or Tom, but, okay. Anybody else chocolate lovers? Anybody else chocolate lovers? Anybody in the front? Okay, great. Anybody? Anybody? All right, there you go. 
Gloria, that was going to the young, handsome man behind you. See, now when you have a little bit of chocolate, it makes you want just a little bit more. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw Anna's hand. I see Fred's hand. All right. All right. Hey, it's, it's right here. If you want it, come and get it, right? Because when we create... No, I'm serious. If you want it, come get it. Um, See, see, that's when you crave, obviously there's cravings taking place in this place. Online, message Pastor Scott right now, he's going to send you a pound of mixed chocolates. Um, when we crave something and we get it, we want a little bit more. You know, you eat something, you go, oh man, it, uh, it's gone. I wish there was more. What, what Peter's saying, look, when, when we come to know Christ and we get a perspective of his salvation, it changes our appetite. We begin to crave. He says like a new believer is like a baby in need of milk. It craves, it desires, it needs that in order to grow, in order to be sustained in life. And, and Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and, and the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 talks about this need for the, the milk of the Word because it becomes evidence of spiritual life is a hunger for spiritual food, which is the Word of God. And when you taste it and you go, wow, that's really good, I want more. And so we, we have this progression, right, from little ones to big ones. And, and as we grow in Christ, it gets bigger and bigger, and our cravings become greater and greater and greater. And we move from the small little, oh, I had a taste of it, now I want more. So who really wants more? I mean, who, yeah, okay, I saw the hand first, right? <laughs> I, the hand went up. She said, I want more. Here's more, okay? I saw the kid in the blue shirt. Come here. Just come on down this way. It's not quite as big, but it's part of the way there, so that's for you, okay? So, right? But that's what a craving does. We begin to want more and more. And, and Peter's saying, look, if you're going to grow up in the Word, you begin to taste the Word. You dive into the Word, you realize that's good, and I crave it, and I want more, and I want more. Now, seriously, I did get on Amazon, and I was going to buy this giant $5 bar, but it's like $40, and I'm like, that's just not worth an illustration. So, <clears throat> but just imagine in your mind right now, I pull out this giant five-pound bar of chocolate. That's how we love to study the Word. That's how we love to grow toward spiritual maturity. So Peter says, look, when you get a proper perspective of God's salvation, when you have that defining moment in your life and, and it begins to change your perspective of God's salvation, it changes our attitude, it changes our appetite. But then he says, he says it changes our aim. It changes our aim. Verse 2, he says, long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word that by it you may grow up into salvation, to grow up into salvation. When we begin to crave and hunger as newborn babes for the, the milk of the Word, and we begin to grow, and we want more, and we get more, and we dive in more, and we learn more, and we discover more, we begin to grow up in Christ. Man, it's a beautiful picture to begin to grow in Christ. So the aim, the trajectory is spiritual growth and maturity. 
spiritual growth and maturity. But but it's interesting because then Peter says, looking at verse 2, he says, so that by it you may grow up into salvation, transition straight into verse 3. It's a continuing thought. It's not a broken thought by Peter. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, you can't crave something or change your appetite or change your trajectory if you haven't had it. And and so Paul is tying his first thought with this, this thought saying, look, put away these things if you've tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you've tasted the Lord is good, put off these things, have the attitude of a newborn, have the appetite, and have the aim and trajectory to grow towards spiritual maturity. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Uh, I've been amazed through the years of pastoral ministry and discipleship ministry, how many people talk about having a relationship with Jesus or desiring a relationship with Jesus, but have no desire for his word. And I'm going, that that doesn't make sense to me. It it doesn't make sense to, to say that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I have no desire for his word. They'll tell me all kinds of statistics. They'll tell me political aspirations. They'll tell me all kinds of things going on. They'll, you know, and I'll look at them and go, what was the last time in your personal discovery of God's word, you came across a verse that was so significant in your life, you had to commit it to memory? Why? Because the psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. How can we say we crave something if indeed we have tasted it and discovered that it's good. I grew up in a home with a dad that he was passionate about Jesus. And, and I don't know if you remember the day, I mean, a little church I grew up in, uh, Sunday nights we'd have testimony time. Anybody remember that? Testimony time. We'd sing a, a song from the hymn book and, you know, How Great Thou Art or In the Garden or something, and, and then it was like, hey, before we sing another song, anybody got a testimony? My dad loved to stand and give a testimony. Loved it. Loved it. And he would stand, and most of the congregation would go, <clears throat> But here's what my dad would say. Every single time. I knew it, and everybody in the room knew it. Because he would begin his testimony with these words. In September 1957, this poor man cried and God heard him and saved him out of all of his sorrow. Every single time he ever stood to give a personal testimony, that's what he said. I have, I have people that I know up in northern Illinois to this day who will go, man, I remember when your dad would tell, stand and give a testimony and, and, and quote Psalm 34, this poor man cried and God heard him and saved him out of all of his sorrow. Every single time. In September 1957, this poor man cried and God heard him and saved him out of all of his sorrow. Psalm 34, verse 6. If you haven't committed this to memory, if you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you need to commit this verse to memory. Psalm 34, verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles or sorrow, depending on your translation. Verse 7, the angel Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. But then he goes on, verse 8, oh, taste 
and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You see, Peter understood this. Peter understood this. He, he understood because that's why he came back and he said, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you come to that place like Peter, right? That, that you, you came to that, that broken place, that moment that clarified your absolute weakness and dependence on Jesus Christ, and that it has prepared you for, for this God-given purpose in his kingdom because it's given you new perspective of your salvation. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? When we do, when we genuinely come to that place, that broken place, that complete moment of absolute weakness before a holy God, it begins to give us this attitude of dependence. It gives us this appetite for His Word. It gives us this aim or trajectory to grow to maturity in Christ so that we begin to invest our lives in others as newborn babes. Let's pray together. Father, in this place, we are thankful that You are a good God, that You are merciful, You are compassionate. God, You are kind, You are gracious. And Lord, it is your kindness that even draws us to understand your salvation. Lord, it is your kindness and your mercy that, that even allows us to come to that place of dependence. And as Peter shared, Lord, you cause us to be saved. You're, Jesus said no one comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws them. That is to enable them. And so, Father, I ask you this morning in this place and to those watching online that you would draw us to yourself. Lord, for that person in the room or that person online that needs to come to trust you this morning. Maybe you're watching, maybe you're here in this place, but you've never come to know Christ. This morning, I want to invite you to come to know him. He loves you more than you could realize. He desires a personal relationship with you. Would you trust him this morning? Would you trust him? There's a number on the screen online. You can text Jesus to that word right now. We'd love to have a conversation with you. In this room, I would love to have a conversation with you. There's, a, there's other leaders in this room that would love to have a conversation with you. And during this song, if you just want to slip out, I'm going to be off on the side to your left against the wall. I'll be there. And if, if you want to come and have a conversation, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe some of you have come to trust Jesus, but the appetite is not there. There's no hunger for his word. And maybe you just need to pray this morning, God, give me a craving. Give me a craving, a hunger for the truth of your word. Help me grow. Father, would you do the work that only you could do in the hearts and lives of people in this place and online this morning? We love you and we praise you in Jesus' majestic and holy name. Amen.